welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 17. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week, I've been playing A Plague Tale, Innocence, and Sunless Skies. Also this week, I spoke to Fail Better Games about Sunless Skies, and their upcoming Vagabond update coming out on the 12th of June. There's also news on Death Stranding, Avengers, and a whole load of new Pokemon games. So, it's a packed show. Let's get into it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. I'm good this week and uh, I've had some good time playing some new video games that have come out and uh, the video games news cycle is definitely ramping up and you can feel E3 is just around the corner. We've had a great new trailer released from Death Stranding and a lot of teasers talking about E3 and uh, yeah that all kicks off next weekend so it's a really exciting time. Uh, I was lucky enough this week to have a chat with Fail Better Games Uh, So thank you to Hannah and Toby and took the time to talk to me and we discussed Sunless Skies and their Love Indies initiative which helps shine the spotlight on indie games and getting fans to rate, review and share to help the discoverability of indie games. Uh, They also discussed some great advice on how to get into the industry and shared some of the games they're playing at the moment. So it's a great interview. I've been playing Sunless Skies too and getting into that which has been fantastic as it's a different kind of game to what I'd normally kind of play. Uh, Last week we talked about A Plague Tale Innocence and I heard a lot of good things about this game so I picked that one up and we'll also be reviewing that this week. Outside of gaming, uh, congratulations go out to Liverpool who won the Champions League last night with a 2-0 win over Spurs. Uh, Chelsea also beat Arsenal on Wednesday night 4-1 in the UEFA Cup final and uh, the Champions League final was a little flat uh, but at the end of the day no one's going to remember the game ultimately is all about winning the competition. So congratulations to Liverpool on their sixth European Cup and they certainly look like they're going to be a force domestically and in Europe for some years to come. But that's enough about football. Let's get into what I've been playing this week with a Plague Tale Innocence review. Amicia, I want to see Mummy. You go. I want her to come back. Mummy is dead, Hugo. You'll never see her again. Go away! Hugo, go! Anya, don't take too long. I hate you. It's for your own good, Hugo. I'm sorry, I'm sick. We've come back. Everything is all right. Now. Why does she keep resisting like that? Only our methods differ. We have the same goal. Both fight the plague. So, Plague Tale Innocence is an action adventure stealth game from Asobo Studios. It's the story of Amicia and Hugo as they travel through 13th century France, trying to avoid the horrors of the Black Death and the Evil Inquisition. It's a lovely day to out walking in the forest with your father and your dog. The sun is shining and the light is streaming through the leaves of the trees whilst you practice your sling skills under the guidance of your father. So you play as Amicia de Rune and your dog picks up a scent of a wild boar drinking from a stream. A boar sure would make a tasty meal for you and the family, so under the watchful eye of your father you try and take him down with your sling. 
Unfortunately, the boar gets away and your dog chases him. Out of your sight, the dog is attacked by something and right before your eyes is dragged underground by some kind of evil. So Misia and her father make their way home to tell mother. However, as they're chatting by the window, the Inquisition bursts through the gates and takes father prisoner. And it turns out they're looking for Hugo, Amicia's little brother, and they kill to get him. Mother warns you to hide while the soldiers start searching through your home, and here we meet Hugo. He's a sickly little boy, almost unknown to his older sister, but under these dangerous circumstances, they're going to have to get to know each other and trust each other really quickly. So Plague Tale Innocent starts with a bang, as Amicia and Hugo have to sneak out of the house, uh, through the gardens, and past the guards of the Inquisition. It's a great start, and you know you're going to be in for a good game. The game is set in 13th century France, and the Black Death is everywhere. This manifests in the form of rat swarms, and they're generally really impressive. They take on a life of their own, writhing and biting their way towards you like a ferocious wave of death. The environment's one of the most impressive things about the game. First of all, it's a beautiful game with detailed environments. There's no shortage of horrors to be seen as the Black Plague rips through society, leaving piles of dead bodies and waves of rats all about the place. Those left to a living lead poor, violent lives, offering up danger to Amicia and Hugo. The game has a bleak and dark feel to it throughout, with its forests and its empty towns and Inquisition sites. And the game blends real-world history with minor fantasy elements really well. Rather than an open-world adventure, you're mostly kept on rails by the narrative being nudged towards the next story point by other characters in the game. The story is the main star of the game, with the relationship between Amicia and Hugo taking centre stage. They don't know each other well, as Hugo was really sick when he was young. However, as you progress through the game, the siblings get to know each other, and their relationship is an interesting one. Amicia is given a lot of responsibility early on in her life, and she's just a child herself. Uh, but she has to grow up fast and learn to protect Hugo in a world filled with danger. Stealth gameplay is a big focus in the game, as you have to make your way through areas with Hugo. As you make your way through an area, you have to clear a path for fragile Hugo, who isn't capable of looking after himself as he suffers from a strange illness. Like other stealth games of the same genre, you work in partnership with Hugo as he can slip through cracks and small spaces to open doors. Your job is to keep him safe at all costs by holding his hand, keeping him away from the horrors and lifting him up over walls where necessary. It's important to keep out of the eye of the enemy as if you get spotted, you get killed pretty quickly. One false move and Amicia and Hugo are done for. Complementing the stealth mechanics is Amicia's sling. You can shoot small stones from her sling with effective results. And Amicia can also throw stones as the sling is often too loud and can give away your position. As you progress through the game, you can level up the sling and move into more crafting, kind of more advanced weapons and items. A Plague Tale Innocence isn't a difficult game, and it's probably one of its biggest drawbacks. More often than not, you're presented with a solution without much effort as you progress through the game, and it seems to get easier rather than harder. The visual effects are impressive the first time, But as you progress, you're less impressed as a player, and the puzzles can get a little bit laborious. One of the main features of a Plague Tale Innocence is the rats. So they're used a lot on the marketing material, and if you've heard about the game, then you've probably seen the rat swarms. They're truly impressive on first sight, but as you see them more and more, they can get a little bit annoying. 
They certainly look a lot worse than they are. The rats don't like light and you can repel the disgusting mass with torches and later on in the game Amicia learns more effective alchemy skills. An interesting gameplay mechanic later in the game is the ability to control the swarms of rodents by distracting them and leading them to the path of enemies leading to a grisly end for your foes. So as Amicia and Hugo progress more alchemy skills open up offering a small variation on the gameplay. However, Puzzle solutions present themselves quickly, often hinted at by the convenient location of an item. For example, you might be standing there and a bag of rocks for your sling will just be kind of sitting there, um, ready for you to use. Uh, The puzzle mechanics and the stealth may be simple, however, um, the complementary story drives you forward with well-acted and scripted dialogue scenes. As you move throughout France, you meet other children in similar situations as Amicia and Hugo, helping them out as they go. A Plague Tale Innocence is a great story of a brother and sister trying to survive in a harsh world. The game looks fantastic, however, the game is quite straightforward. It feels like an old school game brought into 2019 with modern technology. The narrative is engaging with some heartfelt moments. And one of the most enjoyable things about the game uh, was I hardly heard about this game before it came out. It was a really, really nice surprise. Much like Amicia holds the hand of Hugo throughout the game, it often feels like the game developers are holding your hand throughout the world, not letting you get too far away or straying into too much danger. The environment's bark is a whole lot worse than its bite. However, overall, I would recommend this game if you like playing single-player narrative-driven stories. So this game comes from Asobo Studios, uh, it was released on PC, Xbox One and PS4 and originally came out on May the 14th, 2019. And we gave it a final score of 80 out of 100. So next up I've got an interview with Fail Better Games uh, talking about Sunless Skies and uh, I was lucky enough to sit down this week with Hannah and Toby from Fail Better Games. Uh, we chat about Sunless Skies, Love Indies and get some advice on getting into the video games industry. So next up, here's that interview. Well, welcome to This Week in Video Games. I'm joined by Hannah Flynn, the comms director, and Toby Cook, the artist from Fail Better Games. Uh, So welcome. Hello, Hello. Tom. Hey, thanks for having us. So we're here to talk about Sunless Skies, and it's been a fantastic release year for you at Fail Better Games. So could you tell us a bit more about Sunless Skies? Sunless Skies is our second game for PC, Mac, and Linux. It is a RPG um, in which you play the captain of a space-faring steam locomotive, uh, steering your crew into trouble and out of their minds in <laughs> a uh, in a furious, hilarious, bizarre, terrifying vision of uh, space, the heavens as the Victorians would imagine it. And being a captain in Sunless Skies is really precarious. Could you tell us more about the captain's role in Sunless Skies? Sure. Um... Uh, so, yeah, as, as Hannah noted, you will be leading your crew often uh, into danger. And um, a big part of the captain's role is to try and uh, keep as many of your crew alive as possible, although keeping yourself alive is obviously priority number one. So often your crew will sort of end up becoming a, a bit of a, a larder or a resource. If you end up completely running out of food, then cannibalism does become an option. Um, uh, but... It's 
a case of uh, exploring and discovering new locations, um, building your character, making decisions in the story that will change its outcome and kind of change your character. And uh, it does have a very large role-playing element to it. And there are many different way, different kind of moral choices that you can make along the way as well. So you're thrown right into the action in Sunless Skies with your captain on a deathbed. Uh, do you like to throw players in at the deep end at uh, fail-better games? Um, well, I think in Sunless Sea, uh, there was the, the start of the game was quite precipitous for some people in terms of uh, it, 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 took a, it demanded quite a lot of people in terms of you know, throwing you right into the deep end, not giving you a great deal of direction and uh, just kind of letting you sink or swim. Um, so although the beginning of Skies does kind of very much throw you into it narratively um, and, you know, you're, you're right kind of in the middle of this uh, adventure um, or kind of the, the peril is on, is, is, has already begun when the, when the story begins, um, at the same time, it's actually, we, we made pains to make it a slightly uh, more accommodating beginning. Um, so, yes, I think, you know, it... It was the idea of throwing people into it narratively was very appealing, but at the same time, we wanted to it to be a little bit less opaque in terms of systems and um, wanted people to feel a little bit less overwhelmed while also feeling kind of immediately immersed. If that makes sense. So, as a player, you're faced with a number of decisions when you're creating a captain. How do those decisions affect your game? I mean, the, the the sorts of moral decisions that we ask, they're not always moral decisions, but the sorts of decisions that we ask players to make um, can influence a wide variety of different things. And the, there's kind of the arguably more prosaic things, like the uh, decisions can, might affect your, uh, your resources, like your fuel or your supplies or your crew, which are, you know, another type of uh, sort of prosaic resource. Um, uh, but they can very easily come a cropper if you make the wrong decision. Uh, but they can also influence slightly less tangible, more unusual things like um, the, the kind of the quality of your soul or the, um, the kind of uh, the, your past you can shape through the choices that you make. Um, so there is a kind of a broad palette of different uh, uh, aspects of your character that players can influence by their decisions it's uh, yeah it can be pretty broad so there's a couple of different game modes uh, you've got legacy and merciful uh, could you explain how these affect the game for the players this this is in some way a response to how players found the difficulty in our first game sunless sea Mm. Um, in which you, it was possible for you to go quite a long way um, and in order to try and retain something called an Invictus token, uh, which everybody wanted to retain by not dying, you could um, find yourself dying after 10 or 15 hours of play and losing everything. We wanted to maintain the same kind of level of jeopardy, um, that feeling of peril and the wolf at the door, but without people, um, without a with more respect for the player's physical, personal time. Um, mm -hmm. So the two different game modes enable you to either die and uh, continue with a new captain or die and be reverted to the last major port that you docked at. Um, and also there's a little more inheritance between captains now. The sense of building a legacy down the, down the, uh, down the line, um, you always inherit a certain few things and then you have a chance of inheriting some more. So there is, there is kind of a, 
more of a roguelike approach in some ways than we had before um, and more of a sense of the legacy of previous captains weighing down on you or possibly helping you um, as you continue with a new one. Could you explain more about the death mechanic and how you pass things down to captains through your legacy? So um, the way that players like, level up in the game is, is slightly unusual in that uh, we have a, a, a facet system where when people accrue enough, uh, when, captain, when a captain accrues enough XP, um, they can select a new facet. And a facet is an aspect of that captain's history um, that the player can choose you know, what, what happened at that point in time. So they might uh, say that their captain had uh, been in prison at one point and then they might be asked to make a decision about something that they did in prison and that will in turn uh, affect uh, their, uh, some of their core stats which in turn affect some of the, like the chance rolls on uh, when you're faced with challenges in the game. Um, so that facet system which people really enjoy they really like it's uh, really kind of quite a powerful uh, role-playing tool is kind of building this uh history because of course you're you kind of yeah you're building your captain in, in many different ways and the history is a very important aspect of that um and in the when you when you die if you're uh, using the 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 legacy mode is the there's the one where you if you if you die you you have to start a new captain but you can inherit some of that captain's uh, possessions like their locomotive or some of your equipment um you will also inherit some of their um, experience which you'll in turn be able to spend on um uh, facets so there's uh, there's a sense that you're not completely um, starting from zero when you're and um, when you're passing on a legacy um and yeah and that facet system plays into it so as you're playing Sunless Skies, there's a real sense of danger and foreboding. Uh, so where did you draw your inspiration from for Sunless Skies? Um, well, first thing, important thing to note is that I'm one of two of uh, the, uh, the artists, the kind of the primary artists that worked on the game. We also had uh, a, a freelancer who, who did a significant portion of the beautiful illustrations. Um, so the, there was a kind of, there was a shared process. And additionally, I didn't work on Sunless Sea, so... Um, coming into Sunless Skies, uh, a lot of the uh, the initial inspiration was just drawn from the kind of the really vivid artwork that Paul Arendt, who was the art director um, for Skies and was the sole artist for C. Um, a lot of it was just kind of building upon what he had already created, which um, um, the which for Skies meant um, looking at a lot of um, uh, reference of. Uh, old buildings which believe it or not don't look incredibly interesting in top down it, a, a constant frustration was trying to match the uh, the kind of the, the grandeur of the writers uh, visions with uh, the with the art in game because it was occasionally a little bit difficult to uh, to kind of you know if you're if you're trying to, to describe visually uh, kind of a soaring gothic architecture but you only have one dimension to describe that in and it is from above um, that can be that can be very challenging, but the uh, one of the lovely things about creating the world of skies visually was that it's so enormously varied. So um, the you know the reach is full of this kind of fecund, overgrown, enormous wildlife and fungus and all of that stuff. Uh, whereas Albion is much more industrial, so there was much more kind of looking at kind of Victorian and um, and and later machinery and kind of how to blend that with uh, the kind of because the the world of skies technologically is a bit of a mishmash. There is there is 
certainly Victorian aspects to it, but there's also some very kind of like almost sci-fi, but not sci-fi aspects to it. Um, we tried to draw from a wide variety of different inspirations. Um, and whereas like Eletheria um, has a, is a much more kind of, it's like the Victorian romantic interpretation of, uh, of, of Greek myth and culture. And so there was a, a, we were just kind of constantly throwing these wonderful cues from the writers about different places to draw inspiration from. Um, and it was never difficult to find something new and exciting. The writing in Sunless Skies is fantastic. As an artist, what's it like to work with such great material? <laughs> a privilege. Um, I mean, I, I genuinely, without, I mean, I, I'm completely unbiased, obviously, but I, I genuinely believe we have some of the very best writers in the industry. I mean, I think that the critical reception uh, from the game bears that out. Um, and it's it's funny because uh, it, in, in many respects, it takes the hardest part of the process out of it um, because if we're just kind of given these frequently these kind of ready-made thrilling briefs which contain stuff that I never would have considered and it's all backed up by this beautiful prose um, and often it's just that kind of that pressure to 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 meet the the uh, the quality of the prose that can be a, a kind of a double-edged sword because you you have this beautiful stuff to draw from and you really want to do it justice um, but at the same time um, it has to kind of fit the um, there are there are practical demands of the perspective of the game for starters and also practical demands in terms of time um, so yeah I mean uh, on the whole it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing to have this stuff to draw from and for it's a it is a genuine a privilege to to help bring it to life but it can also be quite pressurizing in terms of yeah just wanting to do them right basically and um, bring it to life in the best possible way. The quality of the writing is great and the artwork is beautiful and the reaction to the game has been really positive. Uh, that must feel great. Yeah, it's awesome. Hannah, it's extraordinary. Wanna, yeah. yeah, it's been really extraordinary. Um, it's good to know that we had better reception for Sunless Skies than Sea, so we mm. seem to be going in the right direction. That's kind of reassuring. You'd hope that we get better at it over time. Um, we received um, feedback from places that we hadn't ever got it from before um we were featured as a studio profile in edge magazine which i know was quite significant for a bunch of us um thinking of edge as the kind of most beautifully designed and put together <laughs> mag and um, so we felt very at home obviously <laughs> being super gorgeous people in their pages and yeah we we had like a nine out of ten from edge like kind of doesn't get better than that really there's yeah. only about 10 games you ever have so and that was the first one that was the first one we saw the first review that was pretty yeah. surreal it was a big relief. Yeah. You never know. You never know, no matter how hard you work on it, how it's going to all fall together at the end and how people are going to react. But it's been really wonderful. Yeah, really wonderful. So I understand the game was in early access for a while. Uh, what were the benefits for you as a team for early access and getting that feedback from the audience? I think that one of the main benefits of having a game commercially available while you're developing it is that people will stream it. And it is otherwise very um, costly and high maintenance to try and get people in who've never seen or played your stuff before to, to see it and play it in front of you and then tell you what they think. Um, and they often don't tell you exactly what they think. But if you are cruising around Twitch looking for streamers who've just picked it up and are doing a blind playthrough, you can learn more from watching an hour of that 
um, and what people are surprised by, confused by, um, excited by, and they don't know that you're there, <laughs> then you can from uh, a, a tester who has just eaten your snacks and drank your water and then is trying to tell you they don't like it. So that, I think, is one of the principal wins for us. Um, the I know our narrative director, Chris Gardner, basically just watched them like TV for months and months um, to, to get a real sense of the beats that people were enjoying and, and areas where we could punch things up a bit more to get more kind of emotional resonance or more, or where people weren't understanding stuff. Um, it was really fascinating and brilliant. And it is just nice to have an ongoing dialogue with your community um, that you get responses to every uh, update that you do um, is, is all is all good sort of food for the beast. So you mentioned uh, updates there, and it must be an exciting time, as on the 12th of June, you've got the Vagabond update. Could you tell us more about that? Yes. Um, So this is our second fairly major update since launch. Um, And we are introducing a new officer for your ship, the Vagabond, the amiable Vagabond. Um, Officer stories in Sunless Skies are pretty exciting they're quite pervasive um they cover a bunch of the game in different ways so you are able to recruit this new chap uh to your ship and um he will join your crew and remembering that you have to assign your officers this is something else that we're working on a lot of people haven't realized that you have to assign officers to get the bonuses from having them so we 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 recognize that we have more to do there uh, to make that obvious but um yeah the amiable vagabond and um as a central character for this new release. I don't want to say too much about him, um, but obviously he's not going to be exactly what you expect. He's a he's a man of the rails, if you like. Um, <laughs> a gentleman of no fixed abode and with a twinkle in his eye and a pipe in his hand. Um, uh, so you, you might get an idea that he's not exactly as he seems. Um, and a whole bunch of um, additional updates uh, that we are bringing in in terms of new enemies. I don't know if you want to say a bit about them, Toby. Sure, yeah. So we have three new agents that are going to be um, appearing in different areas of the game with Vagabond Update. Um, uh, one of those, like with these new agents, we've tried to stretch the existing combat system in a few ways that we haven't, uh, that we haven't done already, trying to kind of introduce something a bit new. Um, so I don't really want to give too much away about these agents because... Frankly, they're pretty exciting, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how people respond to them. But uh, certainly, can tell you that there will be kind of opposing factions will get their own um, uh, new machinery and, and, and new weapons that they will probably be using against one another. And you'll also see some surprising new monsters. Um, um, we are also going to be um, the the Tackety Scout is one of the the current agents in the game, um, and the uh, the uh, the Tacti Scout has become a, a little bit meme-worthy in terms of how frequently it seems to intentionally drive into you. And the Tacti's have become known as one of the more drunken opponents <laughs> that you'll fight in the game. Uh, so one of the other things that we looked at in this update was just uh, maybe taking a few of those brandy rations away from the uh, Tacti Scout captains. So hopefully slightly less dodgem-like behaviour from the Tacti Scouts too. Um, so yeah, really excited to see what people see think of these new agents. So roll on the twelfth of June. Um, could you give us a sense of how big the update is? Um, I'm not sure exactly how big it is in terms of uh, words. Sunless Skies has eight hundred thousand words as it is. Um, ah. So it, it's a, it's a drop in the ocean compared to that. That's for sure. Um, 
but it, it, getting a new officer is a significant um, bit of content and a significant set of stories for your ship and your captain. Uh, so that's, I think, the thing that people will be most excited about. And I'm excited to see the agents in, in action as well. Um, I saw one on Toby's screen and I went straight to the Discord and said, I'm going to give you one word, wobble. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I hope that the, they are Look forward to the wobble. Well. Yeah. Uh, but but additional to the the new officer, we we do also have new spectacle and horror content. So um, the there are certain extant uh, wonders and horrors that. Uh, players are going to now be able to interact with um, and they're going to be able to get some new stories out of those as well. So it's not just the uh, the new officer where content will be coming from. Yeah. So that all sounds fantastic. Uh, how can players get hold of Thunder Skies? Um, it's available on Steam and GOG. Uh, you can actually even buy it from our website, failbettergames.com via a humble widget which is the best way to support us if you like um you'll get a steam key um and it's uh, yeah it's on pc mac and linux so we're supporting as much as we can in terms of uh desktop based systems so i've had a fantastic time with sunless skies and i've got so much more to discover uh, so it's a great time to jump in with the update coming soon i wanted to switch focus a little from sunless skies to fail better games uh, so could you tell us a little bit more about the Love Indies initiative? Yeah, Love Indies came about last year. We are um, always looking for ways to engage our community and the indie game community more generally in rating, reviewing and recommending games. Um, reviews, especially within the Steam algorithm and on our Steam page, are so important for indie creators to be more visible um, within Steam. And uh, it's well known, and I think everybody would, anybody who's got a Steam library or a games library going would put their hands up and admit that people, even if they've enjoyed a game, don't often take time to go and review it. Um, so Love Indies came about as a way to encourage people to do that and to tweet about and post elsewhere indie games that they've been enjoying and to say a bit about why and to tag the creators and to tag the pages where you can buy the game um just to amplify indie games basically because the the marketplace is so crowded now it's really difficult for people to discover new stuff that might surprise them um and that they might enjoy that they would never hear about otherwise um so for love indies this year this is the second year that we're doing it and it starts on uh, monday the third and runs until the 14th of june um we're asking people to rate review and recommend indie games that they've enjoyed um old favorites or ones from the last year and on the 8th of june we are doing or will have done depending when we when, when this goes out uh love indies review hour um this was inspired by a player last year who sat at his desk and reviewed as many games in his library as he could in an hour and tweeted all of them and we thought that was great so we just nicked wow. it <laughs> um, so we're doing that at 6 p.m on the 8th of june which is 10 a.m pst and could you give us a clue to what's next for Fail Better Games? Well, we're hoping to keep updating Sunless Skies for a little while longer. And we have some adjustments to make um, and some work to do on the areas that players have given us most feedback about. Um, journey time being one of them. Um, we'd, we'd like to do some DLC. Um, and then in terms of the next project, everything is currently under wraps. We will have stuff to announce in the fullness of time. Um, but we are uh, really excited by the idea of 
starting something new. Maybe, Toby, something you can draw from the side, maybe. <laughs> yes, something from no the more, side would be no awesome. <laughs> yeah, I really, I would be happy if I never had to do a top-down rooftop ever again. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many ways to show, like, uh, how do we cheat this so you can tell that this is a statue of a rat. How do <laughs> A giant rat on top of a hill, like yeah. yeah. It's a if you want to have a laugh, go into Google Maps and uh, look at some incredibly grand architecture from above. You uh, <laughs> see a lot of a lot of boringness. So I'd like to shift a little bit more onto you both, um, and I imagine a lot of people out there want to get involved in the video games industry, but perhaps don't know where to start. Could you tell us more about how you got into the industry? Um, Felbetter was my first job in games. I don't think I would have worked in games really if I hadn't found a studio like Felbetter to join. Um, it, it, I've always loved playing games, but it wasn't really my ambition um, to work in games until I found this opportunity. Uh, the reason that I thought Felbetter was so exciting was our um, inclusiveness and commitment to representation. We were the first studio, as far as we know, to include a non-binary gender option in a commercial RPG. And that was just really important to me. Um, my background in comms, and comms being a completely sort of skills transferable um, profession, was in all sorts of other stuff. I worked uh, in book selling, in publishing, um, charities, museums and galleries, uh, and mostly for um, children and young people, weirdly. Um, Felbetter's audience is a bit older than them, than a typical sort of 15 to 18 year old, which is what I was working on before. Um, so it, yeah, it's a bit completely roundabout way to do it. I didn't start working in games until I was already 30, uh, which is, you know, makes us, it, it's all kind of contributes to the, the mixture that Felbetter is. Like I don't think many of us have games qualifications and many of us have worked in other professions as well and have a lot of external interests that don't just involve playing games. Um, Theatre, we have trained lawyers. Um, Paul, our art director, used to be a film critic for Teletext back in the day. <laughs> um, so the, all of this to say that there isn't really a set way or a set person who, who would be good at this or welcome in games. I think what you bring is um, diversity of experience and diversity of background um, that, that I think any studio would be grateful for. Um, I know that what we make is better because we have some people who are really interested in the depths of uh, medieval history um, and I'm really interested in drag and uh, <laughs> queer culture and all of that feeds into what we do. Um, so, the, yeah, if there were a message for anyone, it's that we're all welcome here. Um, and there are plenty of ways to get into games. I found one particular opportunity because I met someone at a conference to do with games, when, which I was tangentially attending as someone who was working at Tate Gallery. Like, I, would, I honestly, that was a complete blag that I ended up at that conference. Um, but that's how I met the person who gave me the job. Um, so my message, if you wanted to get into games comms particularly, is to meet people as much as possible. Go to the games events, talk to the development teams um go to industry conferences read the industry websites um and immerse yourself in it because the the beauty of of like modern social media and and web culture is that it's all played out in front of you for you to get involved with you just have to find it and join in and toby uh, what about you 
Uh, yeah, similar to Hanno, I had a fairly circuitous route into the industry. I mean, games have been hugely important to me my whole life, and um, it was it was a very much a pipe dream when I was younger that I would love to work in the industry at some point in some way. Um, but um, when I was, you know, like back 16, trying to decide what I was going to do at university, it was definitely not considered a realistic choice to pursue video games. Um, I'm 32 now, and I've been at Felbert for a couple of years, and, and uh, another place for only six months before that. So like Hannah, relatively new to, to the industry. Um, but yeah, back when back when I was picking what I wanted to do, it was not considered a kind of a viable, sensible thing to, to set out to try and uh, you know build your life around. So I ended up, uh, I studied illustration at university and um, got some fantastic experience doing that, and for a short time being a professional illustrator. Um, but also have spent, you know, I've been, a, I've worked in an office for years. Um, I've done a variety of different things which have not been remotely related to games, and though some of that is related to my current practice in terms of illustration, much of it has not been. Um, and though that might not kind of immediately seem uh, to be valuable, as Hannah says, it's kind of this breadth of experience which can can actually be enormously valuable to to, stu- to, to certain studios. Um, and to not just come with this uh, kind of set of uh, kind of ideas that you've just cribbed from a bunch of other existing places and to kind of have a, a fresh perspective um, can, yeah, can be a great asset. Um, ultimately, I did go back to uni uh, to be a very old second undergraduate, which was a, a bit weird, but... Um, uh, and I studied computer arts at Abate. So it was kind of at that point more, uh, that was when I kind of decided that I wanted to try and make it in the industry, um, which was enormously valuable, but just like any other uh, university course, it's really more, especially when it's something to do with the arts rather. Um, it's it's really about what you put into it. Um, so I absolutely wouldn't say that it's, it's necessary for someone looking to get into the industry to do a, a degree course, but it can be a very useful way of structuring your learning um, and kind of giving you a space to experiment that you will inevitably need. Um, so yeah, to anyone like looking to start, I'd say first of all, to keep an open mind, but first of all, just about what you want to do, because there's obviously an enormous range of different roles in the industry. I mean, I'm, I consider myself very fortunate to be in a place where I get to do all sorts of different things. So in my day-to-day role, it might involve kind of painting or kind of 2D asset creation or UI or animation, but um, obviously, depending on the size of the organisation, you might end up doing something much more granular and much more, much more kind of laser focus on a particular discipline. Um, and uh, one of the great things about uni is the chance to explore all those different disciplines and all those different kind of potential avenues that you might take. Um, and I know various people who have ended up doing something that they never would have expected. Um, so yeah, keep an open mind, um, research, look into all the different things you could potentially be doing, and just try as many different things as possible. Try game jams connect yourself with as many other makers and artists and designers as you possibly can. That goes especially, I suppose, if you're not going to do a university course. Um, and yeah, keep an open mind to studios as well, because um, there really is just all sorts of different places to work. It's often a default of people that will go, oh, well, I want to go up for Blizzard. But, mm. um, you know, that is, first of all, obviously a very challenging thing to do, not impossible, but very challenging. But also there's just, there's loads of different places, loads of different flavors of places to work. Um, and just get in somewhere. 
Um, I had a wonderful time at um, a place doing in, in Brighton called Plug-in Games, full of lovely people doing kind of smaller mobile games, primarily for kids. And though that's not the sort of thing that I would necessarily have imagined myself doing or have kind of chosen initially to set out to do, I had a wonderful time, a wonderful experience, learned loads. So, yeah, just keep an open mind and immerse yourself in it, like Hannah said. The industry's changed a lot over the last 10 years. As a developer, what do you think are the biggest challenges you face in the industry? Um, I think the most impactful changes in the industry since I joined have been within Steam. Um, we sell primarily PC games and primarily through Steam, although we're on GOG and Humble as well, but Steam is, is the lion's share of, of our earnings. And uh, it just works differently now. Um we are lucky in that we've always taken marketing communications and um, community seriously. Even before I joined Fellbetter, um, talking to the community and building that rapport and building the amount of people who are interested in what we do has been completely baked into everything we do. Um, uh, but it, I think at some point in the past, it did used to be possible, maybe, to just make a good game and everybody would find out about it and you <laughs> make a, a bajillion pounds and retire. The um, good old days. Well, yeah, <laughs> the, the wild west of, of indie games. Um, but now there are a couple of hundred Steam games released every week. Um, and I, I think if you ask anyone, even people who are interested in PC games, to name a single game that came out last week, they might not be able to. Um, I asked a lot of people at Ucker is speech I was doing recently if they could name one or two or any games that came out the previous week and this is people who want to get into the industry and they couldn't um I was really surprised I thought we'd get one I was like heaven's vault came out last week but um no nobody knew so um discoverability the way that steam works internally and the effort you have to put into to reaching new people um and creating space for yourself finding your niche uh is is absolutely essential, paramount to succeeding in indie games these days. You've just got to. So it sounds like a busy year. Um, do you get to play anything in your spare time? Well, I have been for Love Indies. I've been going into the list of stuff that I've been meaning to play and getting ready so I can leave lots of reviews <laughs> when it's on. Um, so my wife and I just played Return of the Obradin finally. Had a really good time with that. Um, I just played this really interesting art game called Kids, which is um, which is a really simple black and white game in which you poke little people into a hole. And it takes just a few minutes to play, but I found that really yeah. interesting, unnerving um, and weird. And I love just weird. I love weird things. So that's mm -hmm. mainly where I've been. Oh, I'm playing um, Baba Is You as well the fantastic puzzle game um, where you can rearrange what you're capable of based around moving commands around on a screen physically, which is just like, ah, mind-blowing. Um, yeah, so I'd, anything a bit odd is where I'm at. What, what are you playing, Toby? Uh, right now, I'm still pretty obsessed with the VR and, and with Beat Saber because sometimes just coming home to something incredibly simplistic where you can just smash blocks while wearing a visor on your head but hannah mentioned over didn't got a second to that shout out because that was a stunning and wonderful game um i've just recently started playing void bastards which just came out yesterday which is very cool from some people that were involved with um i think system shock 2 and and some other immersive sims 
um, and also checking out Observation, which is the new no-code game, uh, which is very lovely as well. And also revisiting Dishonored 2, which is one of my one of my favourites. Absolutely wonderful game. So there's some great recommendations in there. So thank you so much for joining me today to talk about Sunless Skies and Love Indies. Hannah, you mentioned a specific date there where people can get involved. Do you want to mention that again? Yeah, that's the 8th of June at um, 10 a.m. PST, which is 6 p.m. BST in the UK. Um, and you can find out all about Love Indies and everything that we're up to by following us on Twitter at Fail Better Games or following us on Steam via our publisher page, which is very easy to find. So thank you once again for talking to me on This Week in Video Games. I wish you all the best for 2019 and the continued success of Sun in the Skies. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for having us. So that was me there talking to Hannah and Toby. And thank you once again for talking to us on This Week in Video Games. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, Sunless Skies, really, really enjoyable. And so next up, let's get into my review of Sunless Skies. Sunless Skies is the follow-up to Sunless Seas in the world of Fallen London from Fail Better Games. In Sunless Skies, you have to stay alive. As part of a crew on a locomotive that's travelling in space, that's not an easy thing to do. The game starts off in fairly bleak circumstances. Your captain is dying, your vehicle is damaged and your crew are hungry. As your captain dies in Sunless Skies, it teaches you that life is precious when you're exploring the stars and the life outside the locomotive is a dangerous place. Now it's your job to explore, find provisions for the crew and keep that train running. Death is common in Sunless Skies. With each death comes a new beginning and new opportunities to be a successful captain of the ship. The character creation mode is detailed where you can pick the name, title, background and motives of the captain. You can choose to seek fame, fortune or truth in some of the motivations when you first start out. However, the first priority is your crew and staying alive in this hostile environment. Sunless Skies mixes an engaging narrative adventure with a top-down roguelike RPG. As you travel through space, you scavenge for loot left behind by unlucky space travellers and engage the citizens of floating cities that you encounter. You find out the latest in the war effort, Learn how to trade and earn money and follow leads. Every port you find, there's a host of interesting characters to speak to. And here, that's really where the game's loot lives, in the quality of the writing. Whether you meet these characters in a local pub or in the street, each person has a unique story to tell. And they may test and tease you, and it's your job to tease out the detail, whether that be secrets, lies, or even murder. Gameplay switches between engaging conversation, picking up clues with a rich science fiction story, uh, exploring fighting for survival out there in space. 
Your locomotive chugs away through space and early on you pick up a gun turret that you can attach to the front of the train to battle potential enemies that you come across. Be careful, however, as you're fragile, and whether that be from enemy attacks or overheating from firing your gun too quickly, the fragile nature of your locomotive adds risk to your adventure and raises the stakes, meaning you can't necessarily charge into battles each time. Taking it slow and picking off your enemies at the right opportunity is the name of the game. There's something quite unsettling about navigating in the dark and the depths of space uh, to come across an enemy ship or even two warring factions ready to turn on you if you get in their way. You've got to be careful out there. The writing in Sunless Skies is excellent with branching narratives. The game presents you choices that really mean something. For example, early on in the game when your captain lays there dying in front of you, she desperately asks you to fulfil her dying wish. You've got the option to promise blindly, uh, or approach the bed and ask her to rest, or slowly back away from a potential contagious disease. I chose to ask her to rest, and she wasn't happy. (laughs) Although I did get a mysterious black box out of it, so it's all good. Even though you die a fair amount, all is not lost, uh, as experience from your previous captain is handed down to a new captain. Each time you play, your turn is shaped by the type of captain you choose at the start, whether it be a soldier or a priest, a scholar or a doctor, and what motivations and characteristics you've set. Each decision you make informs your adventure, which gives the game great replay value. If you find the dying hard to stomach, then you can adjust the difficulty settings. However, embracing the transient nature of your captains feels part of the game, and I didn't want to let that one go. Sunless Skives lives in the same universe as its predecessor, Sunless Seas. Fallen London is huge, sprawling wasteland, and the society in Sunless Seas is built around a clockwork sun, with many warring factions at each other's throats, after each other's resources and loot. As you progress through Sunless Skies, you can choose to side with warring factions. However, the lore is really deep, quite complex, and sometimes tricky to get your head around. Uh, That isn't a huge criticism. It's a well-thought-out, detailed world here, and understanding the politics of the day is really interesting. So Sunless Skies is unique in its delivery of narrative as you travel and battle from port to place. It offers something different to many games out there with witty, funny, and intriguing stories. Uh, Exploration and battle seem secondary to the delivery of the narrative, so be prepared to read more than the average game. However, it's great fun and well worth giving a go. So Sunless Skies is out now for PC for $18.99, and you can get hold of that on Steam and GOG, and uh, also on Failbetter's website as well. As I mentioned, the developer is Failbetter Games. Uh, It's out for PC, and originally it was released on January 31st, 2019. And overall, we gave the game an 83 out of 100. So great stuff there from Sunless Skies, and I've still got a hell of a lot more to uh, discover, more characters to meet, and uh, more adventures to go on. So yeah, really, really enjoying that, and I recommend you pick that one up, especially because on June the 12th, um, we've got the Vagabond update coming soon, so now is a fantastic time to jump into Sunless Skies. Great stuff. So if you're enjoying this week in video games podcast, then do head on over to iTunes and leave us a nice review. It really helps get the word out about the podcast. So if you've got access to iTunes, uh, it would be great if you could give it a nice review. And uh, don't forget that this week in video games has a YouTube channel, which goes alongside with the podcast. 
Uh, the YouTube channel's got the entire archive of the podcast, as well as dedicated reviews, interviews, and features. Uh, so search This Week on Video Games on YouTube and subscribe today for all the latest content. And if you want to see anything specific on YouTube, do send us an email uh, on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. Uh, it'd be great to hear from you. I've also been doing some work on Patreon this week. If you want to support This Week in Video Games, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. And in exchange for supporting the show, you get shout outs, Discord access, exclusive Patreon content polls, special design podcast scripts, and stickers. Uh, so if you enjoy This Week in Video Games, then do sign up at Patreon. It would be great to see you there. Next up, let's take a look at the news of the week. So first up in the news this week, we've got Death Stranding coming out in November 2019. And Death Stranding is the latest game from Hideo Kojima, and it's going to be released on November 8th, 2019. And uh, Kojima's been teasing fans this week, uh, saying the game info would drop, with many expecting a 2020 release to go alongside with the new consoles. However, in a surprising move, the game has been announced for this year. Uh, And a new trailer for the game has been released, which you can watch on thisweekinvideogames.com. Just go to the website, and in that search box, type in Death Stranding. So the description for the game is as follows. Uh, They say, a besieged by death tide every turn... Sam Bridges must brave a world utterly transformed by the Death Stranding. Carrying the stranded remnants of the future in his hands, Sam embarks on a journey to reunite the shattered world one step at a time. What is the mystery of Death Stranding? What will Sam discover on the road ahead? A genre-defining gameplay experience holds these answers and more. And it stars Norman Reedus, Mads Mikkelsen, Leah Sadu, and Lindsay Wagner. And uh, this could actually have a knock-on effect for some of the other PS4 releases this year, with The Last of Us 2 apparently set back till 2020. The latest trailer for Death Stranding was released this week. It was a huge surprise that November 2019 is going to be the release date. A lot of people thought that it was going to be pushed back to uh, go alongside with the new consoles. And uh, we got our first look at gameplay as well in this trailer, uh, which looked really good. There was uh, there was a scene where the main character had a little ladder, and it seemed the backpack uh, was really interesting. These enemy characters arrived in a van wearing kind of yellow jumpsuits, and they had all this kind of science fiction uh, equipment on, and uh, they were chasing Sam Bridges, and uh, the backpack seemed really important. Um, there was a lot of sneaking going along. Um, it seemed kind of like an open-world kind of adventure, uh, it looked really, really good, and the cutscenes were absolutely fantastic. The overall quality of the trailer was really, really good, and the hype now is certainly building for Death Stranding. Um, so, before Death Stranding, it was a little bit of a mystery. We didn't really know what type of game it was going to be, or it, certainly what the gameplay was. And uh, But now, pieces are starting to come together, and with that release date of November 2019... We're definitely going to get a lot more as we kind of build up in the coming months. And uh, yeah, looks like an absolutely fantastic game. I think it's a PS4 exclusive as well. So it's coming quite late on in the life cycle of the PS4. And you've got to kind of take your hat off to the graphics as well. The game looked absolutely fantastic. Uh, the character models look brilliant. So they really, really look like they're pushing that PS4 uh, to the limit. 
uh, yeah, so absolutely fantastic. Really looking forward to Death Stranding now. And uh, congratulations to Hideo Kojima and his team for such a fantastic trailer. Okay, so next up we've got the Avengers coming to E3 plus some leaked details. And Marvel's Avengers game from Square Enix is coming to E3 2019. Uh, So Square Enix announced that partnership back in 2017, uh, but the details on the game have been pretty slim since then. Uh, Earlier this week, the Avengers Twitter account announced some, uh, some of the news, and they were saying tune in to Square Enix Live E3 2019 for the worldwide reveal of Marvel Avengers. Uh, the event begins June 10th at 6pm PT. And uh, yeah, it looks really, really cool. Um, as we said, uh, details for the game have been really, really light. We haven't, we haven't seen anything. I think there was a trailer maybe in 2018, uh, but we haven't seen any gameplay yet. However, some details appear to have leaked early. Uh, according to PC Gamer, details have been posted on E3's website saying embrace your powers and join key members of the development team at Crystal Dynamics and the creative team at Marvel Games as they talk exclusively about the upcoming Marvel Avengers. This is the defining Avengers gaming experience, an epic action adventure that combines a cinematic storytelling with continuous single player and cooperative gameplay. Moderated by Andrea Rene, uh, assembling teams for up to four players master extraordinary skills, customise your heroes to fit your playstyle, and combine powers to defend an ever-expanding world under constant threat. Uh, Details since have been taken down from E3's website, uh, but some details do stand out there, like team up with four players, uh, customise your heroes, and an ever-expanding world. And it it does sound an awful lot like a looter shooter, and maybe even Destiny-like. Uh, but we're going to find out more at E3 during Square Enix's press conference, and that's on Monday, June the 10th, 2019, so it's just around the corner. And Dauntless, the free-to-play hunting game for PC, Xbox and PlayStation, is having notable success since it came out of beta. And the game from Phoenix Labs has managed to get 6 million players in its first week. Uh, since the game first released on the 21st of May, Dauntless has doubled its players in comparison to the beta. Boosted by crossplay features at launch on PS4, Xbox One, and PC, uh, Phoenix Labs have said 60% of players are working in cross platform squads with a mix of PlayStation, Xbox, and PC players working together to take down behemoths. And uh, you can check out the review of Dauntless on thisweekinvideogames.com uh, or check it out on the last uh, episode of the podcast as well. And uh, yeah, well, you can go and download it yourself, try it out now. Uh, it's free after all, so yeah, I'd recommend giving it a go. Okay, next up, Bungie outlines Season of Opulence for Destiny 2. So Bungie have released a trailer for the upcoming Season of Opulence. Uh, so it details new weapons, gear, a raid, and a six-player activity. Uh, the new season's coming on June the 4th, uh, so that's Tuesday, I think, uh, to holders of the annual pass in Destiny 2. Originally called the Season of Redacted, the Season of Opulence is all about uncovering the secrets of the Leviathan. So Destiny 2 players have got a new season of content to look forward to with the Season of Opulence, and uh, here's a few things that um, players can get excited about. So we've got the Menagerie, and it's an all-new six-player activity with matchmaking, and no doubt this is going to build on previous endgame activities like the Blind Well and Escalation Protocol. Uh, We've got a new raid, uh, that's the Crown of Sorrow. Uh, We don't know too much about the raid other than it's going to release on day one of the new season, which has left some Destiny players power levelling to get raid ready. 
Uh, with the new raid being released on day one, it's certainly going to make the race to world first interesting. And hopefully in this new raid, we're going to get a continuation of the story as well. We're going to get more details about Savathun uh, relating to Oryx. Maybe um, it's going to bring in some of the story details from the Drifter and uh, the Nine as well. So hopefully we're going to continue that story as uh, we look forward to um, battling the darkness, hopefully, hopefully soon. We've got new weapons armor as well, and a, a new season brings new opportunities to level up, and this time we can choose our gear. Uh, as Guardians, we can use the Chalice of Opulence to choose which type of gear we get from the Menagerie. Uh, so ranks are reset in Vanguard, Crucible and Gambit as well, and we've got new pinnacle weapons out there, including a new Sniper, Grenade Launcher, and Precision Bow. Uh, we've got gameplay updates as well, and Bungie has included a feature called the Power Surge, which would likely help Guardians that have fallen behind get up to the right light level. Uh, Iron Banner returns, as well as new exotic weapons and armour. And as we mentioned last week, unfortunately there's a few nerfs coming too. Uh, we've got a free summer event as well. The Solstice of Heroes is back, uh, allowing players to celebrate the victories of the past. And that includes commemorative gear and the chance to win in real life prizes. And last year Bungie gave away a great t-shirt with your gamer tag on it in Ages of Triumph. So you can check out the new trailer for Season of Opulence. And uh, if you go to thisweekinvideogames.com and search Destiny 2, uh, you should be able to find that article nice and easily. And uh, really, really exciting news as well. On June the 6th, Bungie have announced via Twitter that they're going to be announcing the next phase for Destiny 2. And what destiny means in a world kind of uh, post activision so really exciting times for bungie as they uh, were freed up earlier in the year from activision that partnership has split and they're going out on their own uh, so they have lost the support of a couple of other studios high moon studios who helped them out i believe with um forsaken uh, expansion um amongst others uh, but yeah, really, really interesting stuff. And next Thursday, we're going to get uh, some kind of announcement from Bungie on what they're going to do next, um, kind of post-Activision. And yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. Are we going to get uh, a new DLC a bunch of content in September like um, we normally have had? But this is, this is a new world now. Um, Bungie without Activision, they don't have to keep to that content cycle anymore. You know, Many people have been speculating, is there going to be a Destiny 3? Um, or are we just going to kind of continually update Destiny 2? You know, It might be worth rebranding Destiny 2 as just Destiny and just keep building on that. Uh, one of the big criticisms from Destiny 1 to Destiny 2 was kind of losing all of your gear and uh, having to essentially start from scratch. Um, but it feels like since the Forsaken update, Destiny is in such a good place that um, I, I think a lot of fans are worried about going back um, to another kind of transition period um, as in between Destiny 1 and 2, a lot of the features and functionality were stripped back and uh, hardcore players didn't really like it and a lot of those things were put back in during the Forsaken update. So many people say that Destiny is in its best place it's kind of ever been and uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see the news on Thursday and what Destiny is going to look like in a world without Activision. Uh, hopefully Trials of Osiris is going to come back, uh, but we haven't uh, got too many details yet. So I'll keep you all up to date on the news uh, from Bungie uh, next week. And uh, yeah, we'll talk through that when it comes out. So next up we've got news of Super Mario Maker 2 and you can't play versus friends online. 
And uh, Super Mario Maker 2 is coming soon, uh, in approximately about a month. And Press and others have been invited to play the game, and the general sense is that it's looking really, really good. Uh, Almost every part of Super Mario Maker has been iterated upon and improved, including gameplay and building tools. However, Nintendo has created some restrictions that have left early access players disappointed. Uh, It seems you can't play online versus friends. Uh, Nintendo revealed in a recent Direct that players could play against each other in local co-op. However, it appears you can't play online competitively against your friends. Uh, Nintendo is saying that playing against friends could potentially compromise leaderboards. Uh, and you can only play online against random players rather than set up versus friends. Now, hopefully an online versus mode with friends is a feature that Nintendo can add in later down the line in a kind of post-launch update. Uh, but that, that remains to be seen. And Amiibo support has also been dropped for Super Mario Maker 2. Uh, it's a shame these two features won't be there for launch. Uh, but Super Mario Maker 2 still looks like it's going to be a fantastic game. I can't wait to pick it up. Uh, it's coming out on the June the 28th, 2019 on Nintendo Switch. And pre-orders are open right now. And you can head on over to Nintendo's website to find out more. And next up, we've got a whole load of Pokemon news this week as Pokemon Company had their press conference. Yeah, so the Pokemon Company had their press conference 2019 this week and released a whole bunch of news, including Pokemon Plus uh, Plus, Pokemon Sleep, Pokemon Home, Pokemon Masters, and a new Detective Pikachu game. Uh, So first up, we've got Pokemon Sleep. Um, So that's a new app that uses the amount of time that you sleep and the time that you wake up to influence gameplay. Uh, we don't know yet too much about how this is going to work, other than players will look forward to waking up every day. <laughs> it was reported that Nintendo was working on some kind of activity monitor uh, a few years back. It looks like whatever they've been working on in this respect, um, they're working with the Pokemon company to roll it out to the masses. Uh, they've already had huge success with Pokemon Go, uh, an augmented reality game where you catch Pokemon uh, in, out there in the streets. Um, related to sleep as well, the Pokemon company has also said that Snorlaxes will start to appear in Pokemon Go. Together with Pokemon Sleep, they've announced Pokemon Plus Plus, and that's a new device uh, that, go, as I say, works with Pokemon Sleep. And uh, the device will be used to track sleep as well as track your Pokemon in Pokemon Go. Uh, the device looks like a Pokeball, and uh, it's, as again, um, as I say, it sounds like Nintendo's wearable activity monitoring hardware is finally coming to life with Pokemon branding. Pokemon Home as well, it's a new cloud service app um, and the aim of Pokemon Home is to have one place where you can manage all your Pokemon. Uh, This includes Pokemon Go, um, the Pokemon Bank on 3DS, uh, Pokemon Let's Go and the upcoming Pokemon Sword and Shield on Nintendo Switch. Uh, And the Pokemon company say with Pokemon Home, trainers can manage their collection of Pokemon across many games, uh, plus they can trade with friends or anyone around the world using Pokemon Home via their mobile device. Uh, A potential future addition will even allow multiple players in a single location to trade all at once. Pokemon Home is set to launch early in 2020 on iOS, Android and Nintendo Switch. And finally we've got Pokemon Masters and this is a new mobile game coming to iOS and Android devices later in 2019. Uh, The game allows you to battle some of the iconic trainers from Pokemon series past And the game's in development uh, with a partnership between the Pokemon Company and DNA. Uh, The Pokemon Company say a new Pokemon mobile game called Pokemon Masters is on the way for iOS and Android devices. 
And Pokemon Masters lets players experience a new type of Pokemon battling on the go. And it features many famous Pokemon trains from a long history of Pokemon games. Uh, gameplay has been optimised for smart devices, allowing for anyone to pick it up and play. So yeah, loads of news there for Pokemon. So uh, if you're a Pokemon fan, it looks like 2019 and 2020 are going to be fantastic years. Okay, so next up we've got Bioware, and they announced the Cataclysm for Anthem. Uh, so Bioware has announced details of their upcoming Cataclysm event for Anthem. Um, fans of the game have been waiting for updates from Bioware, and the team ran a live stream earlier this week talking through what we should expect. Uh, so the Cataclysm is going to be a six-week event where players will have access to three new story missions and a brand new area. Uh, the new story missions will provide the context for the new Cataclysm area, and the objective of the Cataclysm is to squad up with up to four players, earn points and defeat enemies before the timer runs out. Players can then turn in points for new gear which will be available um, during the event. And players are free to explore the objectives in any order that they want. Uh, the maps can be filled up with various objectives including some puzzle solving. And some of the puzzles and objectives will lead to multipliers that increase your score. So each week the Cataclysm will evolve and uh, players will compete to top the leaderboard. Powerful loot's going to be up for grabs during the event as you cash in your points in Fort Tarsis for battle chests. Uh, and the content of these boxes is going to be switched up each week, including new weapons uh, which have yet to be revealed, uh, which sounds a little bit like a loot box to me. Uh, the beta servers for the new Cataclysm is going to be released next week, or in the next week or so. Um, however, they're not going to be available 24-7, with Bioware saying players will be able to join in for a few days at a time, so Bioware can test out the new features and tweak the power and difficulty. Uh, so far, players have been underwhelmed, um, as many were hoping for a raid-like experience um, similar to Destiny or Division 2. Um, also, this update isn't going to address uh, existing frustrations in the game. There are concerns that this activity will be uh, the same kind of repetitive gameplay loop uh, from free play. So, um, quite a lot of disappointment there in the community for the cataclysm that's coming to Anthem. And um, I'm not really sure if Anthem is going to be able to dig itself out of the hole that it seems to have created. But let's, let's wait and see for the cataclysm, see what it's like, and see how it does. But uh, my, my hopes aren't up uh, too much, to be honest. Okay, so finally in the news this week, we've got the Contra Anniversary Collection. And Konami's revealed via IGN the lineup for the Contra Anniversary Collection. And this is one of the uh, collection series that have come out of Konami in celebration of their games. We spoke about the Castlevania um, collection uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, this Contra Anniversary Collection uh, includes a mix of NES, SNES, Mega Drive, Game Boy and Arcade titles. Um, so four of the titles had already been announced. Uh, now we've got Contra Hard Corps, Operation C, Contra... Uh, for the NES and Probotector as well. They've also been added to the lineup. Uh, the collection also includes a digital book that provides a comprehensive look into Contra's history and the beginnings. Uh, so let's have a look at the total collection. Um, we've got Contra, that's from the arcade, uh, Contra from the NES, and Contra from the Famicom. Uh, we've got Super Contra, that was on the arcade, and Super C, that was on the NES. Uh, Contra 3, The Alien Wars, that was on SNES. Uh, Super Probotector, uh, Alien Rebels, that was SNES 2. Um, Contra Hard Corps, that was on the Mega Drive. Um, Probotector, that was on the Mega Drive. And Operation C, uh, that was on the Game Boy. 
so, yeah, as I mentioned before, that follows up from Konami's Castlevania collection released earlier this month and seems to be doing really well on the Switch charts. Uh, it seems to be up there in the kind of top 10 pretty constantly. I think it's available for 15.99 on the Nintendo eShop. Uh, so the Contra Anniversary Collection is coming to Xbox One, PS4 and Nintendo Switch this summer. So that's it for the news this week. Uh, next up, let's take a look at the charts. Okay, so the all-platform top 10 charts this week. Uh, number 10, up 1 from 11, we've got Forza Horizon 4. Uh, number 9, we've got Grand Theft Auto 5. Uh, that's down uh, 2 from number 7. Uh, number 8 is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. That's down 2 places from 6. And number 7, we've got Mortal Kombat 11, which is down 3 places from number 4. Uh, number 6, we've got uh, Tom Clancy's The Division 2, which is up 2 places from 8. And then holding steady there, at number 5, we've got Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, down three places from last week's number one to this week's number four, we've got Rage 2. And uh, holding steady at number three, we've got FIFA 19. Um, still in there at two, we've got Days Gone. And uh, a new number one this week, we've got Team Sonic Racing. So congratulations to uh, Team Sonic Racing for coming in there at number one. Uh, great sales this week. And I think that's the first time in a long time that a Sonic game has gone in at number one on release. That's it for the charts this week. Next up, let's take a look at what we've got coming up next week. Okay, so coming up next week, first up, we've got Platoon's Party coming out on PS4. That's on June the 3rd. Now on June the 4th, we've got a few games. Uh, we've got The Elder Scrolls Online, Elsewhere, um, coming to PC, PS4 and Xbox. Um, Kotodama, The Seven Mysteries of Fujisawa uh, that's a US release coming out on PC, PS4 and Nintendo Switch uh, we've got Trover Saves the Universe that's coming out on PC on June the 4th and finally on June the 4th we've got Warhammer Chaos Bane uh, that's coming out on PC, PS4 and Xbox One on June the 6th we've got Hell Let Loose that's coming out on PC and on June the 7th we've got The Legend of the Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 2 coming out on PS4, and we've got Octopath Traveler coming out on PC. So lots of stuff to look forward to coming up next week, and also next week um, we've got E3 starting on Saturday with some of the press conferences, and uh, no doubt uh, we're going to have a whole load of news coming out next week. We've got Bungie letting us know what they're going to do with uh, the Destiny franchise on June the 6th. Um, uh, I bet we're going to see some announcements from Sony PlayStation as well because they're not going to be at E3 so I'd imagine they're probably going to try and um, sneak in there and get some of the limelight from E3. I would imagine next week has been a huge news week. Um, so yeah, lots to look forward to next week. So that's it for this week's episode. If you want to get involved in the show, email us on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions and your comments and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'm also available on Twitter Facebook, YouTube and Instagram so search This Week in Video Games on your favourite platform and join in that conversation. If you'd like to support This Week in Video Games content then head on over to uh, patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games and uh, for your support you get shout outs on the show, discord access, exclusive Patreon content polls and special design podcast scripts and stickers. 
Uh, so yeah, if you want to support the show and you enjoy this Week in Video Games podcast, uh, then head on over to Patreon and do sign up. Uh, so thanks once again for hanging out and chatting about video games. I uh, hope you have a good week and uh, we'll be together again next weekend. So for now, I'll see you soon. <laughs>